Good morning. Take your Bibles, if you would, and let's turn together to Luke chapter 12, and then also 1 Timothy chapter 6. Luke 12 and 1 Timothy 6. We have been in a series of messages called Financial Freedom, and we've already seen that financial freedom has nothing to do with how much money you have or don't have. Financial freedom is to be free from worry and anxiety over money, to be free from the love of money, materialism, and covetousness, that uh, financial freedom is to be ready, willing, and able to do whatever God calls you to do when he calls you to do it, or ready, willing, and able to give whatever he might call you to give when and however much he wants you to give. That's true financial freedom. Now, we started off with a choice. We said you have to choose freedom, and you choose freedom by choosing your master and choosing your treasure. Jesus said you can't serve God and money. It's going to be one or the other. And so choose, resolve in your heart, I'm not going to live for money, money's not going to be my God, Jesus Christ is going to be my Lord and Savior, he's my God, and then lay up treasures in heaven, I'm not going to live for earthly treasures, I'm going to live for heavenly treasures, so choose freedom. And then we saw that we break free with an action step, and that first action step into financial freedom is to honor God with your wealth, to bring God's tithe into God's house, to honor him with your first fruits, your first and your best. And that's an action step, and it changes our hearts, and it says a lot, and it does a lot. So you start to tithe. And then we said we need to think free. Think free. And we said we need a, we need a whole paradigm shift in the way we think about money and possessions, a whole new mindset. And we need to understand that God is the owner. We're not owners of anything. The whole earth is his and all it contains. And as a Christian, you've been bought with a price. You're not your own. And so God is the owner. We're just stewards. We're managers. We're managing what belongs to someone else. And one day you and I are going to give an account to the owner for how we manage what he put in our care. We are accountable stewards to the owner. And that means that every decision is a spiritual decision. Financial matters become spiritual matters because you belong to him and it's his money you're handling and and you're going to answer to him one day. We need a whole new paradigm shift when it comes to money and possessions. And then last week we talked about free indeed. If the sun sets you free, you shall be free indeed. And we saw two case studies in God's word of folks who had true financial freedom, what that really looks like. Well, today we're going to wrap up this series of messages. Today's the last one in the series, and we're going to talk about staying free, staying free. So once you've chosen freedom and you're breaking free and thinking free and free indeed, now how do you stay that way? Because the truth is, is that we are always in this gravitational pull of money and possessions and materialism and the desire for more. That's an inexorable pull on us all the time. And so even when you think you've got this stuff buttoned down, uh, you, can, you can slip right back into financial bondage. So how do we stay free? Well, the Lord's going to help us. We're going to listen to a parable that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 12. And then the Apostle Paul is going to inform us a little bit as well. So Luke chapter 12, Jesus has been talking about the kingdom of heaven, judgment, persecution. And then in verse 13, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, Tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. Okay, this guy hadn't been listening to a thing Jesus said. He just went right over his head. This is what's on his mind. This is what he's worried about. Make him give me my part. Jesus said to him, Man, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? Then he said to them, not just the man who asked the question, but to the audience, 
Beware. Be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grains and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Well, if you have your bulletin, there's that listening guide on the back panel. Let's notice, first of all, some money myths that kind of pop up in this, in this parable that Jesus tells or in this passage. Some money myths. These are, these are lies. These are traps that if you're not careful, you'll believe the lie. And here we go. And we'll find ourselves right back in financial bondage all over again. So beware of these money myths. One is the myth that says, I need more. I need more. Jesus said, beware, verse 15, be on your guard against every form of greed. Now, the word for greed there or covetousness, depending on your translation, is a compound word. It's a word that's made up of two words. One is the word for more, and the other word is for have. It's a have more. It's this desire to have more. I want more and more and more without respect to need, uh, desire to have more, uh, even more than you're due, desire to have what you don't have a right to. It's just this insatiable desire. I want more. It's greed. It's avarice. I want more. Now, hang on to Luke 12. We're not done there, but let's go to 1 Timothy 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Paul writes this in 1 Timothy 6, 6. But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. Words to live by. You came into this world empty-handed, you will leave empty-handed. You didn't bring anything into the world, you're not going to take anything with you. If we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. Food and covering. Hang on to that. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Listen to the terms, the words he uses in verses 9 and 10. A snare, harmful desires, plunge, ruin, destruction, all sorts of evil pierce themselves, many griefs, many pains. Man, those are, those are scary terms. Be very careful. Paul warns, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and desiring to be rich, many have fallen into temptation and just brought pain and griefs into their lives. Be careful. Money is seductive. Greed, jealousy, materialism, covetousness, all of this, it is, it's like a disease of the heart. And if you don't stay vigilant, <laughs> this, this disease will reinfect you. And before you know it, here we go again. We're in financial bondage all over again. So be careful. Money myth, number one, I need more. Here's another myth that will get us in trouble. The myth is that money will make me happy. 
Money can make me happy. In verse 19, the man in the parable says to himself, So you have many goods laid up for many years to come. You've got it made. Now, take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. It's time to relax and enjoy life. Money is going to make me happy. That is a myth. It is a lie. Money cannot make you happy. We just read in 1 Timothy, many desiring to be rich have pierced themselves with many pains. It didn't bring happiness, but it brought ruin and destruction. It brought grief into their life. Money will not make you happy. Many rich people know this, and they try to tell others money will not make you happy. Someone had said, those who think that money can make you happy don't have any. (laughs) Rich people know better. Those who think money will make you happy don't know any better. John D. Rockefeller was like the Elon Musk of his day, one of the richest men in the world. He said this, I have made many millions, but they have brought me no happiness. Vanderbilt, you've heard of him before. W.H. Vanderbilt said this, the care of $200 million is enough to kill anyone. There is no pleasure in it. I like what Maxie Dunham said. Maxie Dunham said, you know, we envy rich people. Jesus pitied them. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Money will not make you happy. Wealth does not bring happiness. Studies show that the risk of suicide increases with wealth. The richer you are, the more likely you are to be tempted by that. That suicides and depressive episodes go up with stock market falls. When the stock market drops, people fall into depression or are tempted to commit suicide. Now, folks, that's a rich man's affliction. Poor people don't get upset when the stock market dips. <laughs> They're not tempted to hurt themselves because the stock market went down. That's a rich man's affliction. How many times have you heard the story of some lottery winner, someone who struck it which, you know, they won the Powerball, so much money, more money than they could ever imagine, and they said in the end it ruined their lives. It didn't bring happiness. It just brought destruction and misery and problems. In fact, one lottery winner said this, I've got the pool, the mansion, and the jag, but all my lotto win has brought me is misery. Now, having heard all of that, most of us think, yeah, I wouldn't mind being miserable for a little while. (laughs) You know, they're just doing it wrong. I tell you what, if I won the Powerball, it it would work for me. I would do it better. I would do it different. The wisest man who ever lived, Solomon, said this in Ecclesiastes, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves abundance with its income. This, too, is vanity. So the wise teacher said, you know what? The more you have, the more you'll want. The more you have, the less satisfied you'll be. It it does not bring happiness. Beware the myth, but it's always there. It's insidious, and if you're not on guard, you'll begin to listen to the myth and just think, if I had a little more money... I'd be happy. If I had more money, I could be happier. Here's another myth that'll get you into trouble, a money myth that'll lead to financial bondage, and that is the idea that money provides security. Money provides security. In verse 19, the man in the parable said, I'll I'll say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. You can just hear that sense of security. I've got it made now. Man, I'm going to tear down my barns, build bigger barns. I've got more money than I know what to do with. I've got it made. I am financially secure. I'm financially independent. I've got it made. You can just hear that sense of security. The problem is, is that financial security is an oxymoron. It's a contradiction in terms. Anything financial is by its very nature insecure. And Jesus warned about that. Don't lay up treasures on the earth 
They can be stolen. They'll turn to rust. I mean, they, moths will eat it. Money, I've, I've seen people, maybe you have too, I've seen people make fortunes and lose fortunes. Make millions and lose millions. It is financial insecurity. Um, Proverbs 23 says this, Do not weary yourself to gain wealth. Cease from your consideration of it. When you set your eyes on it, it's gone. For wealth certainly makes itself wings like an eagle that flies toward the heavens. That money will just sprout wings and fly away. Don't, don't, don't live to get rich. You'll pierce yourself with many pains. Someone said, money talks. I cannot deny. I heard it once. It said, bye-bye. <laughs> That's what money will do. It is insecurity. Don't trust money. In fact, hang on to Luke. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians or 1 Timothy, if you, if you didn't lose it. 1 Timothy 6. At the end of that chapter, Paul tells Timothy in verse 17, Timothy, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches. Don't find your security in uncertain riches. They're, they're, they're insecure. But fix their hope on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them, instruct the rich to do good, to be rich in good works, not just money and possessions, but to be rich in good works, to be generous, to be ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future. That would be eternal rewards. So that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. So here you are in the Word of God. Paul tells Timothy, Timothy, warn the folks who do have money. Warn the wealthy, don't trust them. Don't put your trust in money. You better put your trust in God. Put your trust in God. Don't put your trust in money, but instead be rich in good works, be ready to share, be generous, and lay up treasures in heaven. And take hold of that which is life indeed. Your life is not about what you own. It's not about money and stuff. The real measure of life is eternal life with Christ. Take hold of that which is life indeed. That leads us to the next myth, the next myth, the lie that will get you into trouble. And that is to say that money defines your worth. That money defines your worth, your status, your level of success. You are what you wear. You are what you drive. You are the neighborhood you live in. You know, all that, all those symbols of status. The world talks about people in terms of their worth. Boy, I wonder what he's worth. Ooh, that guy's worth a million. Talking about their net worth, measuring someone's value as a person based on how much money they have or the possessions they own. But my friend, that's, that's worldly thinking. That's ungodly thinking. God doesn't think in those terms. He doesn't, he doesn't value you on what you have or don't have. By the way, remember, it's all his anyway. He, the whole earth is his and, and all it contains. He doesn't value you based on how much money you have. He values you, he values you based on his love and grace. He loved you so much that Christ died for you on the cross. He died for your sins. That's your value. The Lord loves you. He wants to save you. He wants you to have eternal life. He wants you to know him and be with him forever. And he made that possible by sending his son to die on the cross for you. That's your value. That's your worth to God. has nothing to do with money. So be careful. Don't, don't think that you are what you, what you have or what you, what you own or whatever else. In verse 15, Jesus said, Even when one has an abundance, uh, not even when one has an abundance, does his life consist of his possessions. That's not life. Life is to know Christ. 
Well, those are some myths that will get us into trouble. We see those popping up right there in that parable in Luke chapter 12. So how do we stay free? What are some action steps what can I do to stay free? Now, I've chosen freedom. We talked about that. I've, I've broken free, and I, I'm generous, and I tithe, and all the rest, and, and I'm trying to transform my way of thinking, the paradigm shift. I want to think free, and I'm free indeed, and God has helped me. Now, how do I stay that way? Well, here's some things we need to do. Here's some action steps. One, choose daily. Choose daily. We started off in the first sermon Remember, you choose freedom, you choose your master. You cannot serve God and money. It's going to be one or the other. So choose, resolve, decide. Money will not be my God. I will not live for money. I'm going to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is Lord. Resolve that. And you're going to have to resolve that day by day by day. (laughs) It's a daily reckoning. Every day you reckon yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Every day you have to reckon Jesus Christ is my Lord. He's calling the shots. I live for him. It is a daily decision. You can't serve God and money. Someone pointed out, you know, that's why it's, maybe that's why it's so hard for a lot of people to tithe. It's hard to put your God in the offering plate. When money has become your God, you don't want to tithe, you don't want to give. That's your God. It hurts to put it in the offering plate. But now, when Jesus Christ is your God, you lay everything at his feet. And now it's easy to give anything he wants you to give because it's not yours anyway. It's all his. Choose daily. Every day, Jesus is Lord, and I'm going to live for eternity. Choose daily. Number two, spend wisely. Spend wisely. Here are just some action steps to stay free out of financial bondage. Stay in financial freedom. Spend wisely. Money is not the root of all evil. We just read that a moment ago. What's the root of all evil? (laughs) The love of money. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Money itself is neutral. It's it's not good. It's not evil. It's it's just money, and you need money. We have to have money to function in our society. We're not back to a bartering system yet, so you need money just to buy food, clothing, shelter, put gas in the car. We need money. We use money to, to get the basic necessities of life. Now, how do you get money? Well, you work for it. That's God's way of getting money. You work. In fact, the Bible says if a man won't work, don't let him eat. The Bible says in Proverbs, he who tills his land will have plenty of bread. In all labor, there is profit. So God gives us jobs so we can go to work and make money and buy the necessities of life, to buy those things we need. Now, Paul, we just heard Paul tell Timothy, you know, with food and with food and covering, we'll be content. So we can just talk about the necessities of life. Well, you need food and covering, you know, food, clothes, and, and shelter, and um, transportation, and insurance, and smartphone, and high-speed internet, and streaming services, and, and here we go. And it just keeps going, doesn't it? A lot of the things that we say we need aren't really needs. They're just wants. And we have to be careful where we draw that line. That's not my job to do that for you. But what's the difference between a basic need and a want? God provides our needs. Um, Here's some some questions. Uh, Some questions to ask before you make a major purchase. Again, we just want to stay out of financial bondage. But here's some questions. Don't try to write these down. I'm going to go too fast. But questions to ask before making a major purchase. Number one, is this a want or a need? Is this a real need? Is this just something I want? It's probably a want. (laughs) Number two, what will it do for my life? Will this enrich my life? 
James Dobson used to tell the story of, of uh, buying a trash compactor. Back, you know, those were a thing once upon a time. He bought a trash compactor. He said, man, this will really enrich my life. He said, you know what it did? It turned 20 pounds of garbage into 20 pounds of garbage. <laughs> hey, not, not much enrichment there at the end of the day. So will this really enrich my life? Number three, why do I want it? Do I want it to improve my status, to look a certain way to certain people? Uh, do I want this out of laziness? Why do I want this? Number four, will this help me toward my Christian goals? Will this help me grow in Christ? Does this help me glorify Christ? Does this help me minister to people? Does this help me spread the gospel? Does this help me uh, in my Christian pursuits? Number five, what will Jesus say about it? Uh, you remember? It's all His. Every financial decision is a spiritual decision because you're dealing with the Lord's money. One day you're going to answer to Him for what you did with all of it. And so we're going to give an account for every dollar, every hour, every word, every opportunity, every relationship. We're going to give an answer to that. And so on that day, what would Jesus say about this major purchase? Number six, is this a good stewardship or is it reckless waste? Is this good stewardship or reckless waste? Could I, could I do with less? Should I do with less? Could I do without? Should I do without? Number seven, am I abusing credit? Ooh, be careful. We'll get to that in a minute. Am I abusing credit? Number eight, will I own it or will it own me? We talked about your possessions possessing you. Will I own it or will it own me? Be honest. Number nine, how can I use this for God? Again, be honest. How can I use this for God? Number 10, well, how will this affect my Christian witness? Will it affect my Christian witness? And then lastly, have I honestly prayed about this purchase? Remember, every financial decision is a spiritual decision, and it's the Lord's money. Maybe you ought to ask him if it's okay to spend his money in this way. Have I honestly prayed about this purchase before I make it? Choose daily. Spend wisely. Here's the third action step. Staying off the slippery slope into financial bondage. Borrow carefully. Be very careful about debt, borrowing money. Proverbs 22, 7, the rich rules over the poor and the borrower becomes the lender's slave. The Bible does not forbid borrowing or lending money, but it does warn against it. You better be careful. Debt is a tool. When you borrow money, you are paying money to buy time. That's, that's, that's debt. You're buying time with money. Most of us can't lay down cash to go buy a house, so we take out a mortgage. What are you doing? You're borrowing money to, pay, to, to buy time. And you'll end up paying two or three times the price of the house for the privilege of living in it, for the terms of the mortgage. But you're buying time with that money. But boy, be careful. It's a tool, but it is a dangerous tool. And you and I know people who have brought themselves to ruin by debt, using debt too much. Be careful. Here's two good guidelines for going into debt or borrowing money. One, only go into debt for things that go up in value. That's a good rule of thumb. Only borrow money for things that appreciate. That's a short list. Dinner at Rafferty's does not go up in value. A week vacation at Disney World does not go up in value. A car does not go up in value. What goes up in value? Not much. Maybe a house or real estate or land. Some Precious metals or investments, but not many things go up in value. Be very careful. Only go into debt for things that appreciate in value. It'll be worth more when you paid off the loan. And then secondly, can you cover the debt? Can, uh, only borrow money that could be paid back, namely secured loans. Our, our, 
if the loan were called in, can you liquidate assets to cover the loan? Can you pay it off? Can you sell this and pay it off? Those are two, two rules of thumb. If you're going to borrow money, oh, be, bear, be careful, but those are two, two guidelines. Borrow carefully. Beware. Next, save consistently. Save consistently. The Bible teaches where to save for future needs. Proverbs 21, 20. There is precious treasure and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man swallows it up. In other words, the fool spends every dime he gets as soon as he gets it, but the wise man has some savings. Proverbs 6. Go to the ant, O sluggard, observe her ways and be wise, which having no chief officer or ruler prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provision in the harvest. So even the ant, the lowly ant, knows wintertime is coming and I better prepare. Save consistently. Save for known needs. Now, I looked it up, save you the trouble. I went in and got out my calendar. Christmas is on December 25th this year. So now you know. You don't have to look it up. You can just write it down so you don't forget. But Christmas, December 25th. Do you think maybe by any chance you might want to buy some Christmas presents for somebody this Christmas? Like your pastor just thinking, you know, throwing it out there. You might want to buy a Christmas gift or two or three or a lot. Well, start saving now. So you got 10 months to be saving for Christmas. Save it now and you won't be paying for this Christmas the 10 months after Christmas. Start saving. You know it's coming. You want to go on vacation this summer. Start saving now. I can tell you it's a whole lot more fun to take a vacation that's paid for than to pay for a vacation you've already taken. Start saving for known needs. Do you think there's any chance that you might have car trouble this year? Now, if you live in my world, it's, oh, it's going to be this week. <laughs> it's not this year. It's this week. I've had two cars in the shop this week. You going to have car trouble? Count on it. So start saving. Save up some money. Set aside for that inevitable car trouble. If you own a home, you think there's any chance that something will go wrong in your house? The, the dishwasher dies or the water heater leaks or you're going to have to call a plumber or something, the HVAC doesn't work. Man, it's not if, it's when and how bad will it be. That's, that's just how it's going to go if you own a home. Save for those anticipated expenses. It's, it's not a matter of if, it's when. It's going to hit. So have some saved up for those eventualities. Now, be careful. Saving can cross a line into hoarding. Saving is wise. Hoarding is sinful. Hoarding is wrong. Hoarding is replacing God. Hoarding says I need to have a big enough pile of money that I can take care of myself and I don't have to trust the Lord. Saving for known needs says, you know, it's not when, it's not if, it's when. Things are going to happen. Things are going to break. Hoarding focuses on what if and what if and what if this happens? What if the government collapses? What if the stock market crashes? What if we're in a civil war? What if the zombies rise up and it's a zombie apocalypse? What happens? See, what if? I don't know if God could take care of me in those circumstances. Well, he can take care of you today, can't he? So you see, we've replaced God with my pile of whatever. You don't need a pile. You know, it's smart to save for a rainy day. Some people are saving for a rainy decade. No, we don't need a rainy decade, but save, consistent, save consistently. Save for known, anticipated needs. And then give generously. Staying off the slippery slope into financial bondage. How to stay free. Give generously. Over in Matthew chapter 16, if you want to just 
listen for sake of time. Matthew 16, Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Now listen, for whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels and will then repay every man according to his deeds. There are certain paradoxes that God has baked into the kingdom of heaven. You die to live. (laughs) You die to sin self in the world and then you are made alive together with Christ. So if you want to live, you have to die. If... um, Uh, Another paradox would be, um, if you want to be a leader, be a servant. (laughs) The way up is down. Humble yourself, and God will exalt you at the proper time. So you humble yourself, and God will exalt you. If you exalt yourself, are you going to get humbled? So the way up is down. To be a leader, be a servant of all. So there are just certain paradoxes. And perhaps the greatest paradox of all is that what you try to keep... You'll end up losing, but when you give, you receive. What you keep, you'll lose. What you give, you'll end up receiving. And you may actually trade up with more and better. You give to receive, and you keep, and you'll end up losing. Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, Give, and it'll be given to you. They'll pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. For by your standard of measure, it'll be measured to you in return. (laughs) When you give... You end up receiving. In 2 Corinthians 9, 6, we dealt with this last week. He who spares sowingly, or sows sparingly will reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. What you try to hang on to, you'll end up losing. What you give, you'll end up receiving. That's true not only financially, but it's really God has baked it into life. It's true in your marriage. Best way to ruin your marriage is to demand. Take, take, take. Just get and take and control and demand. You'll ruin your marriage. Best way to bless your marriage is to learn to give. Give, 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 give. Give to your spouse. You give and give and give. Uh, It's true in friendships. If you want to have friends, be a friend. Give friendship and it'll come back to you. It's true in the area of forgiveness. Forgive and you'll be forgiven. What you try to hang on to, you'll lose. What you give, you'll receive. Zig Ziglar put it this way, the best way to get what you want out of life is to help others get what they want out of life. I like that. So what you try to keep, you'll end up losing. What you give, you'll end up receiving. Jim Elliott was a missionary. He said this, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. Did you get that? He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. Giving, we've said this before, giving is the best antidote to materialism and covetousness and all this mess. Giving, it'll help you. It helps guard the heart against that infectious disease of covetousness. And then thank constantly. Thank constantly. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, And everything, give thanks, for this is God's will concerning you in Christ Jesus. Be thankful Thank Him constantly. Now watch this. When you are truly grateful 
for what God has provided, you'll be less covetous for what you don't have. When you are thankful for what you do have, you'll be less covetous for what you don't have. Lord, thank you for my car. You blessed me with this vehicle. It's been a good vehicle. It's a, Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for this vehicle. That'll go a long way toward keeping car fever at bay. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm grateful for the car I have, or my house, or my furniture, or whatever else. When you're thankful for what you do have, you'll be less covetous for what you don't have. And then also, paired with that, is contentment. We read in 1 Timothy, contentment with godliness is great gain. We, with, with food and covering, we, we'll be content. To be satisfied with God's provision. To be content. So thankfulness and contentment, man, that is, that's the recipe for financial freedom. To be free from the love of money and covetousness and all the rest. And then lastly, invest eternally. Invest eternally. Seek the right treasure and lay up treasures in heaven. At the end of this parable, God, notice in verse 20, God said to the rich fool who built, you know, built bigger barns. He's going to retire. He's going to take it easy. God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? Tonight you're going to die and who's going to get what, what you what you've piled up? You don't even know, do you? You know, I like the old saying, do your giving while you're living so you're knowing where it's going. And somebody say, you know, well, when I die, I'm going to give this, and I'm going to give that to so-and-so, and I'm going to give this to whoever. And no, you won't. All you did was die. You didn't give anything. You just died. And now you hope somebody will honor your wishes and, and disperse it the way you thought. But no, you didn't give. Do You're giving while you're living, so you're knowing where it's going. This very night, your soul is required of you. Now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. That's the real tragedy of this story. It's not, it's not that the man struck it rich and died. Well, that happens all the time. You know, people die every day. It's not that he, 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 what he left behind, that's not the tragedy. The tragedy is what he didn't have ahead. And Jesus said, that's the fool. That's the definition of a fool who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. Invest eternally. Remember, full circle. Choose your treasure. Choose your master. Choose your treasure. Imagine a bank offers these CDs. One is a one-year CD at 5% or a 10-year CD at 10,000%. So here's how that works. If you bought the one-year CD at 5%, you buy a $100 CD and a year from now it'd be worth $105. You've earned five whole dollars. Woohoo! You know, woo. What are you going to do with five dollars? So $100 is $105 after a year, 5%. 10,000% means that $100 in 10 years from now, that's worth $10,000. To turn $100 into $10,000, now which CD would you buy? <laughs> Man, I'm going to find money anywhere I can find money, wouldn't you? I would, I would tear apart the sofa and I would look for money in the seat cushions, you know. I would go get money buried in the car. I, I would sell stuff. I would not buy stuff. I would, I would find all the money I could to buy that 10-year CD because it's going to bring 10,000% in 10 years. Holy cow. So that means for now, there's some stuff I won't buy. There's, there's, for now, there's going to be some stuff that I 
can't do because I've locked all that money up later. So I'm not going to use it now, delayed gratification. I can't have it now, can't use it now, but man, I want to get a return in 10 years. Boy, howdy. Folks, that's laying up treasures in heaven. God has put some money in your pocket. He's given you opportunities, relationships, and all the rest. Now you can spend it all now, but you're not going to get much return on it now. Once it's gone, it's gone. But what you give to the Lord, that's in that CD. And in 10 or 20 or 30 years, however many years he gives you, one day it's going to bring thousands of percent on the investment. So that money you put in the offering plate, well, that stuff you, that's money you didn't get to spend now, and there's some stuff you didn't buy now, but you're going to get a whole lot more later. And the time and the energy, the effort that you spend into ministry, making disciples, helping people, caring for others, building the kingdom, all that time and life that you poured into kingdom causes, well, that stuff you didn't get to, that's time that you didn't get to spend on yourself now, but you're going to get way more later. Invest eternally. The man who lays up treasures for himself and does not get rich toward God is a fool. No, get rich toward God. Well, get free. Be financially free. God's plan for you is not bondage to money or any other God. God's desire for you is for you to know him and be free. And if the Son sets you free, you shall be free indeed. Now, let me say it again. I said it last week. Let me say it again. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, understand, I don't want your money. The church doesn't want your money, and God doesn't want your money. God wants you. He wants to save you. He wants to forgive your sins. He wants to give you eternal life. He wants you to know him. He wants you in his family. He wants you in his kingdom. He wants you to be with him forever. And that begins with a faith relationship with Jesus Christ. You must be born again. Now, you don't buy that with money. You can't earn it. You'll never deserve it. It's God's gift that you receive by faith in Jesus Christ. When you understand that you are a sinner before a holy God, you have broken God's laws, you, you are condemned in your sins, you're helpless to do anything about it, but you know and believe that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died for you on the cross, he was buried, he was raised again, and you say, oh Jesus, I trust your death to pay for my sins, I trust your resurrection to give me life, I trust you to give me eternal life, to forgive me and to save me, oh Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. When you repent and put your faith and trust in him, he'll forgive your sins, save your soul and make you a child of God. That's what God wants for you. That's what God wants from you, to say yes to Jesus Christ. Be saved today. If you've never done that, or if you have questions about that, or you'd like to do that today, I invite you to come. In a moment, we'll stand up and sing our hymn of decision. I'll be right here. Just come to me and say, Preacher, I need Jesus, or I have questions, or tell me more about that. However you want to say it, we'd love to talk with you privately and pray with you if you'd like to, but you can leave here today, a child of God. Heaven as your home. Say yes to Jesus Christ. Or perhaps you need to talk about being baptized or joining the church. We can talk about that as well. Or if you need to pray with somebody, we'd love to pray with you. Whatever God may be saying to you, you say yes to him. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, God, we thank you for your love and your word. God, we thank you. You know this is a problem for us. You know our hearts. It's so easy for us to love money, to trust money, to think that money will buy us happiness. We, we fall for these these myths, these traps, day in and day out, Lord, that is, it's a struggle for us, even as believers. Lord, we thank you for your word that you've given us these warnings, these cautions, these steps to take. Lord, I pray that we would find freedom and that we would stay free as well. 
Lord, I pray for the one who's never been saved and help them to see, hear, and know they need Jesus Christ. They must be born again, and Lord, bring them to the cross even now. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.